following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we go. This is John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. This little message is called, know the spirit you're of. Know the spirit you're of. I want to just communicate some very fundamental building blocks of how to think properly about God, what we call theology. The first thing I want to say is make this statement. I'm going to make this statement again and again this morning. It is not what you do, but what you believe that is making you the person you are. It is not what you do, but what you believe that's making you the person you are. And so really, when we speak about theology, of course, theology would be the most baffling, unfathomable, complicated subject in the whole world if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit makes it very, very simple. Even Jesus said that a child will understand, you know. Sums up all of theology just in one thing, know Jesus. You know, it's actually that little verse, 1 Corinthians 1.23, it says, I think, how theology can be summed up. It says this, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Knowing Jesus is all we need for every obstacle, every trouble that will ever affect us in this life. Knowing Jesus is enough. I want to show you why this morning. Getting to know Jesus by the grace of God, by the work of his Holy Spirit, is the answer to every problem that's affecting every person in this church this morning, and in fact, every person in this world. For a start, understanding that God is good and only ever relates to you on the basis of his goodness rather than your goodness, that will set you free from fear. That will unhinge you from religion. That will take you out of slavery to your performance, and perfect love will cast out fear. And you and I would be totally different people if we didn't do so much out of fear. Fear of what God would think or fear of what people would think. It's the most life-draining thing in the world to live in fear. Anybody say amen to that? It sucks the life out of you. Worrying takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? That's why theology, what you and I believe about God, is so important. Because if you and I do not get to know God for ourselves, we will remain slaves for the rest of our lives to other people's opinions. We will be slaves to religion and the fear that it brings. And you know that when we mention religion here, we're talking about self-effort. So it's not good enough, therefore, to only know God second hand. Jesus asked the disciples two questions. First question, well, who do people say that I am? And they did not need God's Holy Spirit to answer that question, did they? And we too do not need God's Spirit to lead a life shaped only by what other people think. That's worth saying again. You and I don't need the Holy Spirit to live a life shaped only by what other people think. So I could say, 
get off Facebook and get into the life book. But I won't say that. Because I like Facebook. <laughs> you and I have been given God's spirit that each of us will be able to answer God's next question to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? You see, it's not good enough if you or I come up against a problem this week that we have only got, what will other people think? What will other people say? What, what, what do other people think I should do? It's not even good enough if we come up with a problem this week that we say, what does the apostolic church believe about that? It's not even good enough if we say, what does Pastor Phelan think about that? Jesus Christ came, lived, died, resurrected, ascended, that you and I could know God for ourselves. That he, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Now, I, I'm declaring this over you, not to say you should know his voice, but to say you do know his voice. You see, because you're changed, not by what people tell you to do, but what you believe. So if I tell you the truth and you believe it, you're changed. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need to take godly wisdom or godly counsel. It doesn't mean that we disregard teaching we've received in the past. It simply means that the work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal in every believer the mind of Christ. And as believers more and more think as Christ thinks, guess what? They more and more live as Christ lives. And that's important. It's important that you and I change our mind on things. Because it's not what you do, but what you believe that is making you the person you are. So if you don't think there needs to be any change in your life at all, then just keep thinking as you've always thought, and I can guarantee you there'll be no change. Changing your thinking is a necessary process. The Bible calls it the renewing of the mind. It's actually the very essence of discipleship. All those letters in the New Testament were written to change Christians' minds, to think more and more from their position in Christ. Ephesians 4 tells us that's the very purpose of five-fold ministry in the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, to get the body to grow up into the head, the one mind of Christ, to think as Christ thinks, to realize, praise God, who they are and to live from there. Now, the Bible calls that change of thinking uh, by a Greek term. It's called metanoia. Metanoia. We know it best by the word repentance. So one of the signs of the work of the Holy Spirit in an individual or in a church is that there's a continual fruit in our lives of repentance. In other words, you're changing your thinking. You're changing your thinking. And one of the signs of such a renewing in the life of a Christian is that we come to see more and more that I have put too much emphasis on myself, too much emphasis on the flesh, too much emphasis on tradition, too much emphasis on experience, and what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do is to put more and more of my weight on Christ and on what His Holy Spirit is saying and doing in the midst of me. And that's a journey, praise God. And that's a journey we're all on together. And we are being changed by the things, the amazing things the Holy Spirit is saying to us. If you don't think the gospel is extraordinary, you haven't heard it. Do you want to live an extraordinary life? Then believe something extraordinary. Because extraordinary lives are only lived by people who believe extraordinary things. And there is nothing more extraordinary in this world to believe than what Stephen Brown shared this morning. Nothing. And God wants us to believe extraordinary things. Why? Because he needs an extraordinary people. 
I should rephrase that. He has an extraordinary people who he needs to wake up to how extraordinary they are. How extra you know, if he didn't think we were extraordinary, he wouldn't have wasted his time coming for us. We are, as Claire said this morning, the apple of his eye. So, it's good to change your mind on things, you know. It's good to look back and cringe at some of the things you used to say and do. <laughs> Anybody here look back and cringe at some of the things we used to say and do in the name of God? Good. That's a sign you're growing. That's a sign your mind is being changed. Sometimes I say, Nicola, I wonder what I'll be believing in two years' time. <laughs> oh, praise God. Jesus said his church is going to go from glory to glory. Praise God. You don't change by never changing your mind. Because who you are is down to what you are believing. We're built like that. You can't help it. You were built like that. You were built to become what you have believed. Praise God. We'll see that in a moment. So because you and I need to know God, Jesus came to reveal the Father. And he revealed him in such a simple, profound, intimate way. The Apostle John wrote, it's as if nobody's ever seen him. It's as if nobody ever saw God before Jesus came and revealed him. And in that lovely phrase, I think it's John 1.18, it says that Jesus has come from the bosom of the Father and he's revealed the Father. And that word revealed is exegete. He's, ex he's the exegesis. Jesus is the proper exegesis of every scripture in the Old Testament. Jesus and what Jesus said is not an addition to what Elijah said or an addition to what Moses said. It's the explanation of what Elijah said and what Moses said. And we need to see that. Many Christians really are content with an old covenant view of the Father. They know an awful lot of Scripture, but they do not know the Spirit they are of, the author of the Scriptures. Now, we all know that being filled with the revelation of the goodness of the Father, without that, without being filled with the revelation of the goodness of the Father, without being filled with the revelation of His love, His nature, it's possible to carry the name of Christian and yet be hard-hearted towards people. It's possible to go to church every Sunday and love those who love you and hate those who hate you. But that's not knowing the spirit you're of. The Father who loved us when we were his enemies. Quoting Bible verses, therefore, is no substitute for hearing the voice of the Spirit, knowing the spirit you're of. Remember when John and James once saw some Samaritans rejecting Jesus? They asked Jesus' permission to do what it says in the Bible. They said, can we call down fire like Elijah did and consume them? The Bible says Jesus turned around and rebuked them. Luke 9.55, and this is what he said, you do not know what spirit you are of. When Christians do not know the spirit or the father they are of, you can even find them today agreeing with acts of violence against innocence for the greater good. Listen to the gospel. 2,000 years ago, the greater good showed up in person. And guess what? By one sacrifice forever, he put an end to all sacrifices for the greater good. People are not things to God that can be sacrificed for the greater good. They are rather, in God's eyes, worth the sacrifice of the greater good, God himself. What greater good is there than him? 
People are not things that can be sacrificed for the greater good. I say that, you know, because in my life I find very often there are times when I should just be rid of people or put people down or stab somebody in the back or do just get that person out of my way so I can get to the goal. Now listen, whatever your goal is, even if it's to build a big church or do some mighty thing for God, if you treat people like things, you're not hearing the Holy Spirit. Even if it looks like the greatest goal in the world. But look, this great thing happened. You do not know what spirit you're of. That person you stepped on, that person you rejected, that's a person, the apple of God's eye. They give their life for him. Funny thing is, you know, when you actually... And, and, I, and I know this, maybe this is more of a man thing in terms of we, we live by goals, you set a goal, you're going to do the goal, you know. Sometimes in our life, when, when things happen that rock our world, it affects Nicola much more than it affects me. I sort of put my head down and go, right, keep on going, keep on trucking, we've got to reach the goal. But I find more and more, if you will get off your goal track and actually go to the one person, you will find yourself much more in the will of God. And you know what? When you take the time out to go and do that, God sorts out the goal thing. In fact, he's been waiting to sort that out for quite some time. I don't know why. I didn't plan to say this this morning. So, I'm, I, I, so somebody here needs to, to hear this, probably me. <laughs> Get off your goal track, that great thing that you're going to do for God, because there's no greater thing than your neighbor. Okay. Theology. What we believe about God is a foundation for how we live. That's why in the book of Proverbs it says, as a man thinks so he is, guard what you believe and guard your heart because out of it comes your very life. It's not what you do, but what you believe that's making you the person you are. And so that explains why running to church for years has not changed or transformed the lives of so many people in this nation. Because you and I can remain just as self-centered, fearful as our unsaved neighbors if in all that running to church, we never got a revelation of the heart of the Father. We never knew him. We did not know what spirit that we were of. Now, you're still going to heaven, but you're not going to bring that many people with you because when they look at me, they don't see Christ. They see me trying to copy my neighbors. So what I want to show you this morning is that as a person's mind, who they believe God to be is changed, so they are changed into the likeness of the God they have believed in. We've said that many times, haven't we? Religion says, keep doing good things and you'll be a good person. The gospel says, doing good things for God will never make you good because goodness is who God is and no man can be good apart from receiving God, his good life, his good spirit, his good heart. In other words, you can't be good as God is apart from believing what God believes. That's worth, worth saying again. You can't be good as God is apart from believing what God believes. That's why the Holy Spirit is helping us to believe who God says we are. Not who your family say you are. Not who all the mistakes you've made say you are. Not who your record says you are. But who God says you are. You may not like, you may not, as Brian mentioned this morning about false humility, saying, oh, no, no, I, I couldn't, that's not me. I don't think the Holy Spirit says, shut up. <laughs> but God does says, listen to me. Listen to my son. Listen to what he says of who you are. When people ask Jesus, what should we do that we may do the good life, be good enough for that eternal life, Jesus' reply was, only believe in God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Now, if your reply is, 
Is that all? Then you haven't understood the power <coughs> of believing. Because what you're believing right now this morning is right now who you are. What you're believing. What your heart believes is who you are today. Now you may say to me, no, uh, you're wrong, Phelan. And I'll tell you why. If they had done to you what they did to me, you'd be just like me too. And my reply to you would be, if they had done to me what they did to you, I'd only be like you still if I believed what you believe because of what they did to you. And you may say to me, I feel him, <clears throat> you don't understand, you don't know the things I've done. If you'd done the things I'd done, you'd be like me. But again, I'd say, no, no, only if I believed what you believed after doing the things you did, would I be like you. It's by believing. No amount of rejection in your life can hold a candle to the acceptance you have in Christ. I'll say that again. No amount of rejection, what they did to you, can hold a candle against the acceptance you have in Christ. So live in Christ, not in the hurt of what they did to you. Live in the light, not in the dark. What your heart believes is who you are today. No one else is in charge of your heart but you and I. And God wants you and I and every person to know him, for he knows that we cannot be the person he has made us to be good apart from knowing his goodness. Would you agree with that? I remember when I was uh, looking back, I think it was about 11 or 12, you know, and I, I seemed to know things in my heart. I didn't know how I knew them. But I seemed to know that God was good, and uh, I had a desire to be good, but I just knew that I could not be good until I knew him. I just knew it. And when I thought, well, when, when will I ever get to know him? The same thought came to me, when I have children. I know I've said this to you before. When I have children, by that time I'll know him. Because it seemed a scandal to me that there would come a day when a child of mine would come to me and say, now, Daddy, tell me about this God, because I don't know him. But you know him, don't you? And I thought, I am never going to have to look a child of mine in the eye and say, no, I don't know him. I know I've had like you know, 20, 25, 30 years. I don't know him. I thought, I can't, be, I can't be right. That's never going to happen to me. And then I thought about it. I forgot about that. But yet, within a couple of weeks of Christopher being born, you know, my whole world changed. What I'm saying to you really is, uh, we know things, children know things sometimes that they can't articulate. They, they know things about God. Many of us who have come into a revelation of the goodness of God, I've heard people say this over and over again, I always knew that God could not have been as bad as religion portrayed him to be. I've always known that. How did I know that? It was in your heart as a child. No wonder Jesus said you must become as little children. What knocks it out of us? Religion. Religion knocks it out of us. That's the effect of religion. It dries up faith. It's striking the number of people who feel that their faith was strongest when they were children. Why? Because the atmosphere of law found in most churches, Catholic and Protestant, suffers and stifles faith. It becomes harder and harder to trust God the more you sit under a message that says, if only you will first do this for God, then he will do that for you. And then the years go by, and guess what? Your life never turns out the way you thought it would. And you've done all this stuff for God, and he appears not to have answered your prayers. If you want your childlike faith to blossom again, then I suggest you get as far away as possible 
from people who want to keep telling you what God will do if only you first will do X, Y, and Z. Remember we said this before, religion says you first. If you'll only first do this for God, then he'll do that for you. The gospel says he first. None of us here love God except that he first loved us. Okay. Let me put this another way. God is not holy because he does holy things. He is holy because it is who he is in his very nature. God does not, uh, God is not love because he loves. He is love because it is who he is in his very nature. And this is what I'm saying. And I, I need you to listen very carefully because this is a foundational truth about the nature of God that will really help if we receive this. It will help us to start to think about how God changes people without using religion. God cannot be separated from righteousness as if righteousness or holiness was something, some thing he could give you without giving himself. God cannot be separated from love as if love was something, some thing he could give you without giving himself. And that's because love is the very nature of God. So in order to love us, he was never going to stay in heaven and send love as something to us. Because the love of God is his very nature. He can't be parted from his own nature. Then for us to have the love of God, he had to send himself. His own begotten son, his very nature. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Those words were written down 1,700 years ago in the Nicene Creed when the church began to articulate what the Holy Spirit was saying. Praise God. That Jesus and God are one. That when God sent his love, he sent himself. There is only one way to receive the love of God, and that is to receive the gift of his Son, his very nature, his very life, because true love always comes in person. Now, I don't mind repeating this. I know you've heard it before, but repetition is very important to the renewing of the mind. Here's a fundamental thing we have to understand. True love comes in person. That's why if a child of yours was lying sick in the hospital this morning, you would never be content to send them your love. That would be a scandal. If your child is lying sick, you do nothing less than send them your presence. You go yourself. Now, where does a father and mother heart come from? He is the father of all families. It's his heart. When you feel that way for your loved one, that's the way he feels about our enemies. Whoa. Get your head around that. Religion tells people of a God who stands back from them, who waits for them in the sky till they die. But Jesus came to reveal a God who could not and cannot love us apart from giving us his very presence. A God who knows us so well that he knows that what each of us need is nothing short of his presence. With us and in us. For that is who he made us to be. Incomplete without him. Or to coin a phrase, he completes us. God did not make a man to live without him. And indeed, without him, like Adam, we're not living, we're dying. So we have said that God cannot be separated from his nature, as if his nature was something that he could give us and reimpart from us. 
And that's why the Apostle John wrote those words in the first chapter of his gospel. He said Moses could give the law. Yeah, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Because it wasn't possible for God to give grace and truth as if they were something. Because Jesus said, I am the truth. I am grace. I am love. I am the way. So we've been saying really that God does not love as men love, for he cannot love without giving himself. Here's another way of saying that. What God does cannot be separated from who God is. That's the takeaway from this morning. What God does cannot be separated from who God is. So I can finally say this. If everything God does is a manifestation of who he is, then for the gospel to reveal who God is, it must be ministered only as the message of what God has done, not what men need to do. Okay, I'll give you that one again. If everything God does and everything God did is a manifestation of exactly who he is, then for the gospel to reveal exactly who he is, it must be completely about what he has done, not what men need to do. Don't give me that. There's no revelation of Christ in what you're telling me I need to do. So they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. You see, if the gospel we're preaching is directing people to themselves, to their repentance, to their faith, to their love, it cannot change people because there's no revelation of who God is in what we have done for God. The only revelation of God is in what God has done for us. The revelation of who God is can only be found in Christ and Him crucified, what God has done. And that's why we do not preach a gospel that directs people to themselves. You will never hear anyone say from this platform, you should have more faith. Don't say that to me. Don't direct my hope onto me. If you want my faith to rise, give me Christ. Tell me that good old gospel again. If you want to see faith rise up in me. Give me the gospel of what he has done. Because faith comes and revelation comes and change comes by that gospel. The gospel of what he has done. I can know God through that gospel. Because what God did cannot be separated from who God is. So tell me again what he did. Come on, tell me again what he did. Tell me how he saved me when I was powerless to do anything for him. Tell me that again. Tell me again how he loved me when I was unlovable. Tell me it again. Because by such words of truth, faith comes. The Spirit of God comes. The presence of God comes. For his words are spirit and they are life. And his presence causes me to love the unlovable. And speak to the greatest sinners as if God has already done all that needs to be done for them. That's called the good news. You see, what the greatest sinners need is not the greatest advice. They need the greatest news. Give me the gospel of what Christ has done, that faith would come, and I would stop looking at people and judging people by the flesh and start to see them by faith. Start to see that they're only that way because they've not believed in what God has done and probably because nobody has told them. Because it's not what they have done or haven't done, but what they are believing that's made them the people they are. You see, we understand that about ourselves. We'll understand that about them. 
There's no point in telling people to change if you haven't given them the means to change. Give them the gospel. Tell them what God has done. And then tell them again. And then tell them again. And then tell them again. Why? Because you and I need to hear it again and again and again. Praise God. You know, I remember one song. I think it was... Uh, Philippe was here one Sunday morning, years ago, and he was speaking about trying to get a nut off a wheel that had a puncture. You know, he was a mechanic, and he was trying to get that nut off, and he said he hit it with a sledgehammer 32 times, and on the 33rd time, it moved. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you should hit your family 32 times, but you should hit them with the gospel 32 times. Keep loving them. Keep loving the unlovable. Keep telling them God loves them. Keep, 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 keep. Because God, by his Holy Spirit, is continuing to say that to us. Give me the gospel, what Christ has done, that faith would come. Would come. Praise God. Without a revelation, you see, of Christ, the best we can do in the flesh is lay enough guilt in them to make them come to church. Oh, oh, oh. without a revelation of Christ, the best we can do for them is put enough guilt in them to make them come to church. But I ask you, just look at this nation. Going to church doesn't change you. Why? Because it's not what you do, but what you believe that makes you the person you are. What God does cannot be separated from who God is. And that's why Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you believe in God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Why did they not just say, this is eternal life, that you believe in God? Because if you want a revelation of God, look at what he's done. Jesus said that. Without seeing what he's done, you cannot see God. Because what God has done in dying for us is the revelation of who he has always been by nature. God does not change. He has always been the God who is going to die for us. Always. That's why the Bible says, the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the very world. God was always the God who loves us enough to give away himself. He cannot act contrary to his nature. These things are so fundamental. If we don't understand these things about God, we'll find it impossible to figure out what God is doing in our life because we tend to think of him as if he thinks and acts like a selfish man or an angry man rather than a God who always, always, always acts according to his own nature, according to love. God is not like a man who can do something that looks good while at the same time having a wicked motive. God can't do that. He is not somebody who can be good in himself, but then do something bad. He cannot act contrary to his nature. And the Bible declares clearly that the nature of God is love. Love is not something that God merely does. Sometimes and other times he doesn't do it. He can't help but love. It's who he is. What God does cannot be separated from who God is. Listen to Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? You cannot separate God, who God is, from what he does. God is not like a man. He's not got a hidden side. He's not got a hidden agenda. Why do we find that so hard to believe? Because we've never met anybody like that. That's why Jesus' disciples found it so hard to believe. You know, they said to Jesus, I know you're saying great things, you're doing great things, but can we cut to the chase? Just show us the Father. Jesus looked straight at Philip and he said, you don't get it, do you? What I do is who God is. 
Let me read you exactly what he did say to him. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Do you see what he's saying in that last line? He's saying, Philip, just look at what I'm doing. Because what I'm doing is who the Father is. I'm healing the sick. I'm forgiving the sinner. I'm loving my enemies. I'm blessing those who curse me. And you'll hear me say from the cross, Father, forgive them to the very people who are killing me. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm showing you the Father. I'm showing you the Father by everything I do. In all this doing, I'm saying this is who God is. What God does cannot be separated from who God is. So God does not know how to love as if love was a thing apart from him. God does not know how to love you and I without giving us his presence, without giving us his very nature. The moment you and I really believe that truth is the moment it dawns on us that he's here. He's here. And even in your worst moment when you've betrayed him and spat in his face and walked away, he's still here because he's not like a man. He's not like a man who will turn and leave you even when you're unfaithful. And when we get to know that, then even in our darkest hour, that will transform our lives. For how can we mourn any longer when the bridegroom is with us? Do not promise us that when we walk through the darkest places in our lives, he will be with us. Why bother to tell us that? Because when you believe that, in your darkest hour, you'll look for him and you'll find him right there. Because he's not like a man. He didn't take his presence away from us. And that revelation of our union with Christ, the revelation of his presence in our lives, allows us to be the people he always saw us to be. Children living in the presence of a loving father. Religion will have you waiting all your life for God's presence. Religion will leave you like orphans. Jesus said this, I will not. I promise. Truly, truly, I say to you, I promise. I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise. I will not leave you like orphans, as if your father has gone off somewhere to heaven and has left you by yourself. Rather, I will give you my very presence. I will give you the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Living in the presence of God is, in fact, the power to be changed. That's why we preach the glorious gospel of what Christ has done. And I'll finish with this. Because only that gospel declares him to be present with us. Because what he does cannot be separated from who he is. He is Emmanuel. God with us. According to the riches of his grace and mercy. Not according to your behavior or my behavior. And as people's thinking becomes renewed, they begin to think of themselves in a new way. Not as people separated from God by their sinful life, but as people joined to God by his sinless life. And that's the power of the gospel of what Christ has done. It renews our minds so we start to think of ourselves as heaven sees us. Not as people separated from God by our sinful life, but as people joined to God by his sinless life. And that's how heaven comes in the face of the earth, through the mind of Christ 
being expressed in the lives of his body, the church, who have become so God-conscious rather than self-conscious that they live the most fearless, generous lives anybody's ever seen. And people start to see Jesus walk on the face of the earth once again. Praise God, I know you know this. But I know that faith comes by hearing. This is the power of the gospel, or what Christ has done. Because if what God does cannot be separated from who God is, then the same can be said of all who are born of God. Knowing what spirit you're of, you're of allows that spirit to move. It is the acknowledgement, the acknowledgement of the good thing within you. Nothing less than Christ himself that makes the communication of our faith effective. When people begin to recognize the presence of God in their midst, the power of the presence of God begins to manifest. And this is the last thing I'll say this morning. And I wrote this down, and I felt this is for people here this morning. You will receive the deepest wounds in the house of your friends. Nodding acquaintances can't hurt you like your family or your church family. Of course, your postman or your milkman appears to be nicer to you than some Christians. That's because you've placed no expectations on him or her at all. Whether, whereas you demand Christians come up to a certain standard, which is a sure recipe for taking offense. And that's why we mention again and again that God has given each believer a truth to overcome hurt, rejection, and unforgiveness in their lives. The very things that want us to draw back from the body. That truth sets us free from offense. It's so important. We put it up every Sunday in the PowerPoint. You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. No amount of rejection in your life can hold a candle to the acceptance you have in Christ. So live in Christ, not in the hurt of what they did to you. Live in the light, not in the dark. Believe that in Christ you have already received all that God has to give and you will find something remarkable. You will find in you his forgiveness for your enemies and you will find freedom from what they did to you. Because it's not what you do, but what you believe that is making you the person you are. Let's just bow our heads.